Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. My name is Gregory Robinson, I am your producer, and we have Yimin Chen and Roger Hudson as your hosts interviewing various people here at the Western Research Forum at Western University. Let's go off to Yimin Chen with the first guest. Hello, I'm Yimin Chen and I am joined today with, by Sarah Holland. Sarah, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Oh, excellent. So you were one of the keynote speakers uh, this year at the Western Research Forum, and you're a master's student in mechanical and material engineering. Yes, exactly. So what did you speak about at the keynote? So this was actually my first keynote address, too. So it was really a great honor that I was asked to be a part of this conference. It's um, a really great event that brings all different types of research and different um, people from different areas on campus into one to hear everybody um, what they're doing and what's going on on campus. So my research specifically is looking at hand forces and golf grips in Mm -hmm. people with and without hand arthritis. So the main reason we wanted to look at this was um, one I did play actually on the women's varsity golf team here at Western in my undergrad yeah I was captain for the last two years and just loved it and it was such a great experience and um, doing engineering in my undergrad as well I really wanted to combine those two passions of Mm -hmm. golf and engineering so um, in my master's I kind of went around a couple different professors and tried to collaborate um, on a project and I landed with my current supervisor Dr. Emily Lalone I'm also co-supervised by Dr. Luis Ferreira as well and we kind of went through and developed this project um, looking at the hand forces in people with and without hand arthritis so The reason that we wanted to look at that specifically is golf grips are the most overlooked piece of equipment in a player's bag, yet -hmm. it's the only contact point between you and the club. So what is a golf grip? What is for, a for, for those of us who, who may have never played golf. <laughs> so even if you think about other sports too, like tennis, mm-hmm. um, squash, rack, there's that grip aspect, like the part of the club that your hand is touching, okay. that like rubber part right. at the end of the club or end of the racket or end of the bat, like mm-hmm. that aspect. So on, in golf, those are actually, um, they're either made of like a rubber kind of corded material okay. and they're uh, manufactured into one sort of sleeve and then it's slipped onto the end of the shaft of the club. Right. So um, that aspect of the golf equipment is very understudied, very underlooked. It's just kind of like something that you throw on and there you go. So, okay. Yeah. And so what then have you found? Are there significant differences between uh, people who have and don't have arthritis? Yeah. So actually we did notice that there's a 45% deficiency in grip strength abilities and golf grip strength abilities in people um, with hand arthritis. Mm -hmm. So that's just kind of the general baseline that we found from like kind of a medium firm to standard diameter grip that's on like every single club. But then we wanted to investigate this further and look at the different types of grips that are available because they mm-hmm. come in, you know, three different types, generally three different types of materials, like a soft, medium and hard firmness for different um, environments, weather conditions, stuff like that. Okay. And now they've started to develop grips specifically for hand arthritis. So The problem with those grips, though, is that there have been no comprehensive examinations done to see if they actually 
help people with hand arthritis. They kind of just claim that, you know, these should help. Um, they're meant to increase the traction and your grip for and reduce the grip force, but they haven't actually been proven and there's no studies out there to prove this. So that's what I, the aim of my uh, study was to do. And we found that actually individuals with hand arthritis actually produce higher forces when swinging than oh, wow. they could when gripping the club as tight as they could. Okay. So, yeah, so when they're swinging with, um, it was 11 out of the 12 grips, um, right. they had higher forces than they could when they were just trying to stand there and grip the club as tight as they could. Whereas in the healthy, it was the opposite. Oh. So... Which is what we would have expected, like a max grip strength. That's something you're gripping as tight as you could. That should mm -hmm. be the highest value. So um, kind of what's going on with the rest of these uh, rest of these grips during the swing. So, mm-hmm. So where do you see the sort of applications of this research? So I think that the... Um, big application is that golf grips are not appropriately designed for people with hand arthritis. That's like kind of one of our major findings that okay. we need to kind of address this concept and figure out, um, what are the other underlying factors? We know that from this study, that force is obviously a big influencer. Um, mm -hmm. We can also investigate other components such as vibration, um, the interaction between, so we used artificial turf because we, it was in the winter when we were doing testing, so okay, we had to right. be inside. So see what the effects are on grass and different components like that. We used an iron instead of a driver. So an iron is kind of like the um, middle range club. Um, mm -hmm. a, a lot of the tests that have been done in golf have been with the driver because everybody wants first club that everybody goes out onto a range is the driver. They want to pull out the um, big club and hit as far right. as they can. But a majority of your bag is made up of iron. So okay. um, that's what we looked at. So there's a bunch of different components that can go into this. But the main finding out of this was that, you know, um, golf grips need to really be investigated further. And we need to have these um, quantitative measurements to understand what are the actual implications going on and why people with hand arthritis are producing these large forces and kind of what's going on with that. Well, that's really fascinating. <laughs> so I understand you're near the end of your master's degree here. Yes, I so. defend in May, so awesome. it's coming up. So congratulations and good, oh, sorry, good luck first and then congratulations. Uh, thank you. <laughs> but uh, what is next for you? Do you plan to pursue this line of research? Yes, yeah, so... I'm really looking to get into the golf uh, research and design. So with like okay. different types of golf companies and golf equipment, or even like the sporting um, industry and stuff like that, because I really want to make an impact. I want to be able to help individuals, not just with hand arthritis, but even individuals that are trying to get into golf or any type of sport, because sport I find is such an important part of life. I know if mm -hmm. you can't do sport, but there's so many different things, so many activities that you can do that it just, it benefits your life in ways that you couldn't even imagine. And I really want to be able to help people that maybe used to play and can't play anymore because of a deficiency or disease, or maybe they want to start getting into it, but don't know how. And just, I really want to be able to make that impact and um, bring something new to the golf industry and to the sporting industry. Well, that sounds wonderful. And we here at GladCast wish you all the best of luck. Thank you very much. Hello and welcome to GladCast. We are here on location at the Western Research Forum. My name is Roger Hudson and I'm here with Bella Wong from the uh, Faculty of Education in the TESOL program. And I'm hoping Bella can give us a slightly uh, better in-depth answer to what the 
TESOL program is all about. Hello, Bella. Hi, everybody. I'm Bella Wang, and uh, I'm doing my master's degree in TESOL program. It's not a research-based program. It's a kind of practical program to teach you how to teach English to other people. Interesting. So it's it's a program designed so that you can go and teach English to populations that don't normally. Yeah. So it's like an ESL style teaching. Yes. yes. Interesting. And why did you choose Western for for that ESL pro or why did you choose Western in general for the teaching program? Um. Well, first of all, Western University has a really good reputation, and、uh, when I came when I came to Canada like a few years ago.、Um, I just love it. So I, that's when I decided to come to Canada to study. Wow. Yeah. So you came to Canada specifically for the graduate degree. Yeah. Wow. So you did all of your undergrad back in、uh, China. I'm from China. Wow, and that must have been a, a fairly large transition. I mean, graduate school in general is a fairly big transition, but changing countries at the same time. How, how was that transition? Well, it's.、Um, It's it's not that difficult because more and more people in China choose to go abroad to study,、okay. so we can like learn lots of stuff from people who came to here like before. So uh, and uh, yes, it's 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 a little bit challenging when you got here and started to study at the very beginning, but then you will like fitting in this whole program. That、so. makes a lot of sense, and it almost it makes sense to me at least that、uh, you would be a person that's in a perfect position to teach、uh, English to those who are going to be coming from overseas to to learn it as well. Yeah, we can. You've lived it. Yeah, we we sure can share some experience with them. So. And is that、uh, part of the reason that you chose to go into,、uh, I guess, that specific area of teaching, or was it an advantage at all to go overseas to to do that program? Well,、uh, my bachelor degree is about education as well, but it's about primary education. And then I realized that,、um, like, my bachelor degree didn't answer all my questions about education. So I decided to go abroad to study more about everything. And what are those questions that you want to answer? For example, I found that、uh, some people are always complaining about education system. So and、uh, I was curious what a teacher can do under these、um, circumstances. So what what a teacher can change to their students to help them. So that's one of my big questions. So to help them reach their full potential in I guess whatever area that they're choosing to pursue. Yes. And how, do you have any ideas of like how a teacher? Like, do you have any examples from your own life potentially that may have、uh, in, influenced you in that way? Well, now I understand that、um, there's no perfect education system in the world. So,、uh, and、uh, teachers can actually do a lot under this not perfect education system.、Hmm. They still. Can do so many things to help students to achieve their dreams to become a a independent、uh, person in the world. No, I think that、uh, that's a really good point that you made. That every anywhere you go to school, it, no nowhere is perfect, and they all have their pros and cons. And for a teacher to be able to, or any、uh, mentor to be able to adapt to the circumstances to to meet the needs of that specific student, that's really important. It seems. 
Yeah. And do you think that there's any special challenges that uh, you may face in terms of it within the scope of, of ESL teaching that may be different from, say, teaching gym class or teach, say, lecturing at a university level? Yeah, well, teaching a language is a complex, complicated like job because uh, language is, is, is complicated. And um, our learners are so different, and so different, and virus. Mm -hmm. So, um, I guess we're we're trying to like figure figure out what is a a good way to teach different learners, and uh, because it's it's so complicated, like some re some methods will probably good for some learners, and some are not. So, Everyone has a different learning style. Yeah, so we're trying to like put everything in our pocket, in teacher's pocket, so we can like take them out when we meet at different students. All of the resources being available to you, you can take, you can deploy them at wherever they're going to be best yeah. suited. That yes. seems like a really good uh, strategy. And, and through, I guess, the degree program, are you being given those resources or taught how to uh, use those resources? So what's the main point? What are you getting out of the program? That, that you would say is the most beneficial? I think that um, it gives me a, a whole new perspective to reflect on what I have been taught in the past. And uh, what I have been taught is, is, not, like, is not always good for uh, learners. So uh, we, we, we put lots of new ideas into our minds. Um, and we learned lots of practical things that we can use directly in our class, which is really good. That's a fantastic uh, attitude and perspective, I think, to take to your uh, where you're going in your profession. Uh, seeing that you're so passionate about it, and that you have you know experiences, and uh, that, that you hope to bring to the. Uh, the children or the, the people that you end up teaching. Uh, I really appreciate your time coming on the show, Bella. Is there, if there's somebody who wants to, or any of our audience that wants to contact you to get more information, uh, is there any way that they can follow you on, on social media, or is there an email address that they can uh, contact you at to get more information? Okay, uh, if you would like to talk more about teaching English uh, to other people, you could contact me with my email, and my email address is mwang728 at uwo.ca. And we'll, we'll add those um, links to the description in, in the chat below. Okay, thank thank you. you so much again, Bella, and hope you enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. We are on tour at the Western Research Forum. My name is Roger Hudson, and I'm here with Umberto Omagna. Hello, uh, Umberto. Hello, uh, Roger. Thank you first for having me here. Um, I'm glad that we're both part of this awesome event here. Uh, it's uh, really been an awesome one so far. <laughs> it has. So the SOX and the academic committee has been planning this since September, and we're happy that it's going so smoothly. That's fantastic. Well, I'm really enjoying myself so far as well. So, Umberto, you're a, a first-year PhD student yeah. in health and rehabilitation sciences exactly, here at Western. Yeah. How are you enjoying the program so far? Uh, the program's going uh, so far. It's been great. I've learned a ton of stuff. 
and I'm excited to be able to showcase some of that uh, here today. And this is the, the program, Health and Rehabilitation Sciences. Yeah. That's within the School of or Department of Physiotherapy. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, my lab is housed in the physical therapy uh, school, okay. uh, but we're part of health sciences, so, so that's a whole. Um, uh, but yes, mainly our recruitment and our laboratory is within the physical therapy department. So that's just more of a designation. Yeah. Your yeah, your yeah, research yeah. based. Yeah. Sort of my focus. I see. Um, is uh, clinical research, uh, especially as it relates to physical therapy and rehabilitation. And you were mentioning, uh, at least by uh, from your research, uh, that your research particularly focuses on the cognition aspect. And yes. You want to speak a little bit more about that? Yeah, of course. So my research is looking at the link between cognition and mobility and what is an underrepresented uh, population of Canadians, the lower limb amputees. Interesting. So I guess this is just me spitballing here, but with a lower uh, limb amputee, yes. you'd probably have lower mobility, yeah. which would be linked with, uh, I guess, cognitive deficits because of the mobility? Well, I'll get to that. Let's so what plan. I think uh, everybody should know is a little bit of a background about uh, amputees. Uh, and for us, the main concern is false. So about 52% of amputees fall at least once a year, okay. um, and mainly while walking. So walking is a cognitively demanding motor task. We rely heavily on our cognition, memory, and attention because when we look around, our environments are quite complex. We have steps and we have different inclines and declines and surfaces and weather, and we're bombarded with stimuli. So times. we heavily rely on our cognition to be able to ambulate safely within our environments. And what we see is that amputees report having to think on every single step that they take whenever walking with a prosthesis. And that suggests to us that there is a higher um, a cognitive need. They have to heavily think about walking whenever they have to walk. Wow. Uh, what we have seen is that amputees have a really difficult time completing two tasks at once. What's called dual tasking, okay. such as when we walk and talk. And dual tasking is really part of most of our everyday activities. I think some of the listeners now could be walking and texting or walking and listening to somebody uh, else. Driving and listening. On the, <laughs> driving and listening. Yeah, yeah, radio. So upon dual tasking, we see that amputees have deteriorated walking patterns. They slow down, they shuffle, and that increases sort of the instability while they walk, which places them at a higher risk for falls. Uh, what we want then to determine is, well, can we use dual tasking as a protocol, maybe as a clinical test, to determine those that are high risk for falls in a population that already has a high risk for falls? Interesting. And how would you go about, I, this is a, a study so that you can predict the individuals that may be at higher risk for falls in the future. Is that correct? Well, we are looking at specific patterns and parameters within their walking that we know are associated with instability, such as shuffling, such as having different step timing, and so okay. on. Um, and what we will do is then determine um, if dual tasking affects them walking through more complex environments. In this case, here at the Western Research Forum, I'm talking about dual tasking and obstacle negotiations, so stepping over an obstacle that is at a height of 
the average height of a sidewalk curve, which is something that we do all the time. We don't really think about it. Now, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I'm assuming that the, these are um, motor patterns that have been previously ingrained into the individual's cognition, and because of the amputation, they have they have to overcome that previously learned pattern in order to uh, properly function given their new circumstances. Amputees go from, uh, through a, a very heavily uh, heavy rehabilitation program. Um, they at the end are deemed safe to ambulate. However, what we see is that uh, at least half of them fall at least once within the first year walking with a prosthesis. So it's difficult to tell those that are higher risk for falls. Um, especially navigating again through very complex environments and we're hoping to be able to use dual tasking to maybe give clinicians and researchers the ability to flag those that are high risk for falls and therefore change the discharge plans and the rehabilitation programs before they have those falls. So more of a preventative measure. Wow, that seems uh, just absolutely wonderful, especially for a group of uh, individuals that I'd imagine are underrepresented, uh, especially yeah. within research. Um, Umberto, I'd really like to thank you very much for joining us on thank the show. Thank you for having me here. Um, is there, because this is obviously not the end of where you're, where you're here at Western, you have several more years of your research to absolutely, go. Absolutely, yeah. If, if there's somewhere um, that somebody, uh, one of our, somebody from our audience can contact you at, mm -hmm. on social media or email, in order to get more information on your research or to find out, just ask some questions about it, is there any way they can do that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, although I don't tweet all the time, I do have a Twitter account and I go there all the time that's how I get a lot of my research and science feedback. Uh, so please at at H-A-O-M-A-N-A-M, uh, Twitter or at H-O-M-A-N-A. -A. Uh, so again, feel free to join me and let's learn together about the link between cognition and mobility um, and those that really are a unique population of Canadians that have a dire need for help. Umberto Omania, thank you so much. Thank you. Have a thank wonderful you rest of your conference. Thank you for listening. This has been GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. This concludes part one of our two-part episode for our interviews at the Western Research Forum. Our second part will be coming up next. If you would like to be a guest on our podcast, you can send us an email at gradcastradio at gmail.com or if you would like to join the GradCast committee, you can also send us an email at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can listen to our podcasts online at gradcast.ca, or you can find them on Spotify, on iTunes, or Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Alternatively, you can find select interviews on YouTube at GradCast Radio. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Gradcast Radio. Thank you so much for listening. This is your producer, Gregory Robinson. Your hosts were Roger Hudson and Yimin Chen. Have a great night. The Gradcast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker.